have anything um, but this morning, and I it just I, I had to say something. I just needed to talk about the goodness of God for a minute because when you were praying the prayer over one of the, I think Brooklyn, um, when you were talking, you said irrevocable, her, you know, she's irrevocable now, and it's her name is ir- unerasable, and then what came to my mind was incomprehensible, and so I was trying to develop this, and I, I wanted to wait, but I had to say it because it just kind of is going to flow with that. And Ephesians 3, you know, I've always talked, and I just love mystery. You know, if we don't embrace mystery like a child, we'll never grow. If we think we know it all, there's always something that's being revealed. The mystery in Old Covenant was Christ. He was concealed. Now he's revealed. And the manifold wisdom, manifold means many colors, but it's also in that scripture that I'm going to read is many layers. So Paul, who was given the grace to preach the manifold wisdom of God, he was peeling back layers and layers to him for us to embrace the mystery even today. In Ephesians 3, it says to me who, this is Paul speaking, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And that Greek word unsearchable is incomprehensible, that he can preach just our mind, it's incomprehensible. How good is he? I can't comprehend it. As good as I think he is, he's better than that. As good as I think he is about removing my sin, he, he's better than that. It's irrevocable to him. I can do nothing that just annuls the blood of Jesus, the power of that, right? And then Romans eleven thirty three, he goes on to keep on saying, the depth of the riches, both of wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. How incomprehensible are his judgments? You know, I would want to hold you accountable, but I I can't comprehend how he is not holding you accountable. I can't comprehend that. He's that good. And that's what I want our brains to awaken to because we have at fellowship the oneness with him, the seamless oneness that we have with him. He is speaking that. Holy Spirit is speaking that to us so that our brain can comprehend just the little tangible, unsearchable, incomprehensible something that he's given us. And it's like, okay, I just know you're good, God, and and that's I'm, I'm thankful for that. But anyway, I just wanted you to know irrevocable, unerasable, and incomprehensible, amen, is his goodness. And if Hebrews wants us, our hearts to be established in grace, And uh, so that's what I'm trying to do this morning is get your hearts established in grace this morning. Amen. And so you can walk out today knowing that it's it's just incomprehensible how good he is. Amen. All right. That's my cute, my brief little nugget that I didn't have anything planned, but I said it anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's phone is telling them to take some medicine or something. I said that because most of us in here are at the age where we have to set alarms to remind ourselves that we need to take medicine. <laughs> yeah, speak for yourself. Yeah. Thank you, Lisa. For those that don't know, that is uh, the better part of me. Uh, my wife, Lisa, thank you for sharing. It's always interesting to what the Lord gives her to what he's already given me. Sometimes we talk about it, but not all the time, but Uh, It's going to segue right in to um, our message this morning as we start a new series, Order and Chaos. Get your Bibles out, whether that would be a digital copy or a hard copy, and let's get ready for the message this morning. do want to make mention that 
please sign up on the uh, sign-up sheet in the back. Even if you sign up on the app for the Thanksgiving dinner, the food that we need brought, this is still potluck style, uh, like we do every Wednesday night. And there's some sign-ups back there for desserts and stuffing and turkey and all that good stuff. Sign up back there. And I hope you'll come. You know, a lot of times you all miss out on the fellowship uh, that we have on Wednesday nights. Uh, and you say, I don't know anybody. Well, come and meet somebody uh, next uh, Wednesday the 16th, okay? Happy birthday to Bree this morning. We appreciate you coming out, playing the drums, and... Uh, Wishing you a happy birthday this morning. Uh, how many of you have ever misunderstood and been confused by the Old Testament? Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one that was going to raise my hand on that. Uh, you know, even after Bible college and having been grown up in the church and reading through the Bible, uh, you know, the Old Testament, a lot of times it still confuses me. I have a better grasp on it now because of some things we'll discuss this morning. But one of the things that we want to try to do at Grace Life, Lisa and I, is always help remove grave clothes from you. See, Jesus is the life giver. He stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he said, Lazarus, come forth. But Lazarus was still bound head to toe. And it's amazing that Jesus, who gave him new life, didn't go over and start unwrapping Lazarus' grave clothes. He stood there at the midst of the, the people in the crowd, and he points to them, and he says, you remove their clothes. You loose him. Why? So he can see, so he can hear, so he can work and walk. Uh, with the Lord. So I believe we have a responsibility as brothers and sisters, as leaders, to continue to help set people free. Amen? So that they can see more clearly, hear more clearly, walk straighter, and uh, work with the Lord. I said a few weeks ago, we don't work for the Lord, we work with Him. We are co-laborers together. Because if I'm working for the Lord, I'm earning a wage. We don't earn anything. It's grace. But we work with Him. That's a privilege and a responsibility. So we want to help you grow. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't want to give too many hints away, but next year I'm developing a series called Rated M. For mature audiences only. Because we need to grow up. And so we're going to learn how to grow up and become mature I think we, it's great that we get saved, we were born again, we're excited about it, but there are still brats and toddlers in the church that we need to grow up and take some responsibility, and the Lord's helping us with that. But, you know, there are, thank you ladies for being here from Union Mission, they're in the um, recovery program there, they're going to have great testimonies uh, of what the Lord is doing and will continue to do in their life. We have great testimonies, but you know, growing up, I thought a good testimony was someone that would come from recovery and would tell me, you know, I was on this drug, I was strung out for this many years, and my life had become nothing, and then God saved me, and I, I'm a brand new person, and look what the Lord has done. People would shout, they'd get the drums going, and we'd dance and run around the sanctuary. And I didn't feel like I had a very good testimony because I didn't drink and smoke and hang out with people who did. But I was a Pharisee, and I had an addiction. And my addiction was religion. And I'm not talking about or comparing testimonies. 
But one of the most difficult things to recover from is an addiction to religion. Where we are, we are, we, a lot of Christians have the abused spouse syndrome. We're used to coming to church and getting beat up. Hey, have you ever heard this from an old timer that walked over? Pastor, you stepped all over my toes. My job's not to step on, my, on your toes. My job is to lift you up so you're walking on cloud nine when you walk out of here in the freedom and grace of the Lord. Okay. Um, taking responsibility, yes, th th that's part of maturing. But we're not here to beat you up. We're here to lift you up. And so the drug of religion may be the hardest addiction to break because we have such a mentality because we're confused about what the Old Testament says and we cannot reconcile that with what Jesus looks like in the New Testament. And so we have distorted images and views of the Father that calls us to want to be beat up because we deserve to be punished for our sins. Well, Jesus took all of that for us so that his beating was our beating. His death was our death. Our, his resurrection, as we go into the water, it's a symbol. We, were, we died with Christ, and as Christ, we were buried with him, and we are raised with him. I will not want to stop there. We ascended with him, and we are seated with him. And I've got the goosebumps going all up and down my arms. I am seated in the heavenly Christ right now, reigning and ruling with him. Um, so I have something to say to you this morning. I don't want to walk under the shadows anymore. We used to sing this old song from Africa, Walking in the Light. Uh, not in the shadow, walking in the light. So I have a little example. <laughs> and unfortunately this morning, before we got started, I had this up here and in my clumsiness, I knocked it off and glass shattered everywhere. So I'm going to have to get a new frame for this lovely pictures of my wife. Um, and, but this is the example. I went to Ghana a few years ago and I got to share in the Bible college there for a whole week. What an incredible privilege. It was a great, great time there at Agape Gospel Ministries to share at the Bible College to over 200 pastors. And um, I took my pillow with me because I knew I was going to be in a foreign country for a while. I took my pillow with me. That pillow smelled like Lisa. Okay. Um, and then I, took, I had pictures that I took with me. And when I saw the picture, I saw the image of her. I was reminded of how beautiful she was. I could smell how lovely she was. Here's my point. If you fall in love with the image and you fall in love with the smell, you'll miss what the substance can really give you. I'm not in love with that picture. I'm not in love with, although I do love the frozen perfume that she smells that she wears, it's, uh, it's from uh, Epcot, Norway, in uh, Disney, and uh, it's one of my favorites, but I'm not in love with that perfume. Because if the perfume is just in a body, bottle, it might smell good, it might remind me of her, but it does not give me any of the benefits that I have because it's the substance that can be touched and felt, the warmth, the intimacy that can be shared. I mean... That picture can't do anything for me. I mean, I can hug it, but to feel uh, the, the real body. Okay, let me go a step further. And I'm not going to embarrass her, but if Lisa would stand up front beside me and we would cast, cast a light that would 
then portray a shadow over here, and I go, and I look at that shadow, and I start following that shadow everywhere that shadow goes. It's still not doing anything for me. Stop chasing shadows. Start living and dwelling in the substance that you now have who is and which is Christ. Can we talk some about that today? Turn in your Bibles to Colossians, the second chapter, Colossians 2. If you come to Grace Life, you're coming to a teaching center. I don't hoop and holler and shout. Sometimes I get excited and then Lisa says, calm down. <laughs> we are excited about the good news, but we want to teach and share with you so you can have grave clothes removed and you can grow. Chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, it'll be on the screen. Do not let anyone, therefore, bring a restriction to your freedom by reviving religious rules and regulations pertaining to eating and drinking. So let me stop there before we go on. What Paul was telling the church at Colossia is, you have seen Christ, you've accepted Christ, you are in the way. Now faith is the substance. You're not going to a temple to sacrifice animals or to hear the bleeding of the sheep or to smell the incense. You have the substance which is Christ. So don't let anyone restrict that freedom that you have now by resurrecting rules of the law that you must follow pertaining to festivals and feasts. Now, we may not be in the American culture reviving those particular rules and regulations of the Jewish custom, but every denomination and every church will try to revive a set of rules in you. Isn't it amazing that we have more faith in resurrecting tradition and, and rules and regulations than we do a risen Savior? And so we get addicted to the form and the fashion of do this, do that, don't do this, don't go there. And we revive those rules. And let's, I just have to give a disclaimer. I do believe in holiness, but I believe that we've missed out on, on wholeness. Can I say that again? I do believe in holiness, but we've missed out on wholeness. And in spite of wholeness, we want people to be holy and they're still broken in their humanity, in their minds, in their addictions, in their precepts, and in the way that they're walking and living, and they're not whole. And as long as they're unhealed, the broken people or, or hurt people will hurt people. So let's get the whole man. Your spirit man is as saved as it is ever going to be. But your mind, your soul, your will and your emotions is still being saved. That's why there needs to be repentance, metanoia, the change of our mind and direction. When the Holy Spirit convicts you about something and says, don't do this anymore, don't go there anymore. It's not a rule that you're following. It's a guide of the Holy Spirit internally because I guarantee you, he says he's already been out in front of you. He's trying to help you avoid the consequences of your own actions. Also, verse 17, all Jewish festivals, all means all in the Greek. I don't know if you knew that or not, but all means all. All Jewish festivals, I'm just reading the scriptures this morning. All the new moons, the Sabbaths have come to what? An end. 
I love my Christian brothers and sisters who find their roots in Judaism that want to celebrate all of these things. And as long as there's a message that teaches us that it points to Christ, I'm okay with that. But if you believe that you have to continue these feasts, festivals, new moons, and Sabbaths, the scripture plainly says through the lips of Paul that those things have come to an end. And watch this. How? In Christ. Why? Because he fulfilled them all. These things were only prophetic shadows. Underline or circle that word shadow. These things were only prophetic shadows. Brand new thought. Christ is the substance. This morning I'm talking to you about moving from shadows to substance. No more shadows. They had their place But if we're still chasing shadows and not dwelling in the substance, we will stay confused, we will stay under bondage to all types of rules and regulations and never experience the freedom that Paul says, don't let anybody restrict that freedom. Are we tracking together here? So if Frank comes to visit me this week and I see him pull up in the driveway and then there's a sidewalk that leads to my front porch and the sun is shining and there's a huge shadow cast on my driveway because uh, of the way that the sun is shining and I run out there and I dive on the concrete and I start hugging that shadow. What do you think Frank's going to think of me? He's going to think I'm crazy. Why? Because I bypassed the substance to hug and try to have a relationship with a shadow. In my opinion, that's where 90% of the church is dwelling today, is they're still living under shadows, still trying to see prophetic things that have already transpired be fulfilled. There is no dual fulfillment. The Old Testament is prophetically pointing to the cross. It has been fulfilled in Christ. Can anybody raise their hands and thank God for the blood that it is a finished work this morning? We need to move them from shadow chasing to substance living. Jesus said that we have an enemy and that our enemy, the adversary, is a liar and he has been a liar from the beginning. He lies, I believe, to try to deceive us about the shadow. And he, as long as he can convince us that the shadow is the real deal, if the adversary can get you focused on the shadow, you will never enjoy the substance. And so because people are reviving rules and regulations in their life, their freedom is restricted and they're in bondage to whatever denomination or church affiliation that they go to. And I'm not... This is not bashing or putting anything down. I'm just stating this is where we've come to in the American church that keeps a lot of us in bondage and we're not experiencing the true freedom that Holy Spirit wants us to walk in. And so then we end up with this type of mentality. God, if I do this, will you do this? And God, then we hear God say, yeah, but if you do this, I'm not going to do this. That's not the God that I serve. But if it's a shadow, if it's behind the veil and it's just an it, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Colossians, we're staying in the second chapter. Let's look at verses 20 through 22 now. Is it okay if we just read some scripture and teach a little bit? Here's what Paul tells us. If it is true 
that you were included in Christ's death, and it is true, we were included in Christ's death. In Galatians, he tells us, I was crucified with Christ. His death was my death. Then, the religious systems of this world, not that world, but this world, with its rules and regulations, no longer apply to you. Did you hear that? The rules and the regulations of the shadows of the old covenant do not apply to you anymore according to Colossians 2 verse 20. Let me say something, and I am not antinomian. That means I, I'm a hater of the Ten Commandments. I am not. I do believe, in my opinion, that they are not for the church today. They are a moral compass, but we cannot legislate morality. It's an issue of the heart, so we have to realize that the Holy Spirit deals with our heart. So what the law could only do to change our behavior, grace does an inner work in the heart and brings transformation. It's a deep inner healing. What further relevance would there be for you to continue to live under the influence of mankind's doctrines or ideas? Things like don't associate with that person, don't taste that or drink that, or do not even touch that with your finger. These instructions are not permanent. They have no permanent value in any case since they refer to things that perish after they are consumed. Thus they leave no lasting impact on your life. So do not let man-made menus, I love the language of the Amplified Bible there, do not let man-made menus cause you to major on minors when you should only major on the master. The last part is the JRW3 version. Jesus is the, the master, we major on him. The highest standard of morality, even in our culture, is the Ten Commandments. So much so, I know there have been fights and debates and legalities to try to get Ten Commandments down off of courthouse lawns and, and judges' walls and all that, but for the most part in America, you can go into courtrooms and stuff and you will find that the highest standard of morality for our country is still the Ten Commandments. Then those are used to condemn people who do not follow them. But Jesus said in John 3.17 that the Father had no intentions of ever condemning anyone. Go read it. We're familiar with John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but would have everlasting life. Please memorize verse 17. For God did not send Jim into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. In other words, God didn't send Jesus as a judge. He sent Him as a Savior. Although he did take all of our judgment upon him, thank the Lord for that, so that you have no pending judgment other than for the reward of being a son. We've got to stop chasing shadows. People run off to revivals and conferences and this manifestation and that manifestation, and there's nothing wrong with those things. Please hear me. I go to conferences. Um, but if we are trying to find a emotional high or if we're trying to uh, 
almost like a drug because I've got this situation going on in my life. I need to run over here to this revival so that man of God can lay hands on me and I'll fall out in the floor. Again, I believe in all of that. But if you're chasing the shadow instead of chasing the substance and you don't even have to chase it, he's chasing you. I'm not a God chaser. God's the chaser. So shadow living will cause you to live chasing after victory when you've already got victory. It's a mind shift. It will cause you to chase after freedom and do every work that you feel like you have to do to be set free when you already have freedom. It's, it's in your identity as a child of God. You have been set free from the law of sin and death. Not if you do these things, you'll be set free. You have been set free. So to change my mind and repent of thinking that I haven't been, that's real repentance. That's the lifestyle of repentance. To walk away from the mentality that says, I have to do this in order for God to accept me, love me. No, you have all of those things because he's already provided all of those things. And I believe that every problem boils down to uh, identity who we are and who we believe we are. are we, uh, is our identity still under the shadow or are, is our identity found in the substance? Who is Christ? Now jump to Hebrews, the 8th chapter. How are we doing? We're in good shape. Because I didn't set my clock back. My clock <laughs> says it's almost noon. <laughs> It is almost 11, however, correct? Did everybody set your clocks back? The 8th chapter of the book of Hebrews written by Paul, verse 4. For if, we, if he were on earth, talking of Christ, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Let me make that a little plainer English. The priest who stood at the altar to make sacrifices of the blood of goats and bulls had, must be, according to the law, that's the only way that they could operate was under the law, those terms and conditions that Christ, God had set up for the children of Israel. And so the priest could only come from a certain tribe. That tribe was the tribe of the Levites. If you were not a Levite, you could not be a priest. And furthermore, not even a high priest. And we know according to the book of Hebrews that he is not after the he was not of the tribe of Levi. What tribe was he of? Judah. He was of the, he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And we find out in Hebrews that he is our high priest and he's ever living to make intercession for us. But he is not after the order of Levi or Aaron, it says, but he is after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 7 says, if there is a change in the law. And there was, because we're not under the old covenant law, we're under the new covenant of grace, then by necessity there must be a change in the priesthood. Hebrews 7, chapter 7, verse 12. There was a change in the law, and so there was a change in the priesthood, and it's no longer after the tribe of Levi. So what Paul is saying is, if Christ were on the earth, he wouldn't be a priest. Because according to the law, he wasn't allowed to be a priest. 
For if we are on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, verse 5, who serve, watch this, the copy and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed, Exodus 25, when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. In other words, when he was on the mountain, not only receiving the Ten Commandments, the Lord showed him the tabernacle, the temple in heaven, and he said, What you are going to make on the earth is a shadow. It's a pattern. Please understand me when I say this. And there is no need for a third one to be built. Why? Because you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I can break it down. There were three chambers in the tabernacle. Outer courts, inner courts, most holy place. You are a body, or you are a spirit, you live in a body and you possess a soul. You are three parts, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You are a spirit that has a body that possesses a soul. You are created in the image and likeness of God, which is also the pattern of the real temple in heaven, which he has made you the temple now where he dwells. So not only would he not be a priest, there wouldn't be a tabernacle for him to offer the sacrifices in. It was destroyed in 70 AD to completely dissolve the whole Jewish system. Backsliding, or the great apostasy, is to turn from Christ to go back to animal sacrifice. That's the only way one can backslide. God made it so hard that he destroyed the whole system. There's not. I asked the Jewish rabbi in uh, Charleston one time, where is the atonement for sin? Because according to Leviticus, the old covenant law, 19, all things are cleansed by, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Where does your sin, how do you have your sin forgiven? There's no temple to sacrifice the animals in. It's by the keeping of the law. Jesus, on if he were in person on the earth today would not build another temple and he would not serve as high priest. Why? Because those things were a shadow foretelling prophetically of what he would be when he came. And he fulfilled all of that and he is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek and he has made you the temple. He's made, do you not know, 2 Corinthians 3.16, that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Temple keepers. All right, let's continue in chapter or Hebrews chapter 9, verse 23. I hope that this is not over your head. I'm trying to make it very simple because I believe we have to understand this in order to grow and get rid of the confusion that we have when we read the Old Covenant. And this will culminate with a great crescendo here in just a second. Therefore, chapter 9, verse 23, it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, the blood of goats and bulls purified the copy of the articles, the shoe bread table, the bronze altar, the brazen laver, the lampstand. Those were all purified by the shedding of the blood of animals but those things in the heavenly temple were pur purified with a better sacrifice. Can I show you this? Are you ready for this? 
Jesus, what Adam did to cause us all to be made sinners, Romans 5, that happened in a garden. And that garden was turned into a graveyard. But what Jesus did for us, Romans 5, by one man's obedience, many were made righteous. How can you believe that what Adam did was greater than what Christ did? So help me somebody. He is the greater one and his blood. So he dies, he's buried, he's resurrected. And at the garden, Mary supposing that he was a gardener. Why? Because he turned that graveyard into a garden and he reversed the curse. One drop of his blood reversed the curse and now we're back in the garden ruling and reigning. Do you know that Jesus said to the man on the cross beside him, this day you'll be with me in paradise? That Greek word paradise is Eden. You'll be back in the garden with me. He's put us back in the garden, folks, which was his original intent and purpose. Where we're ruling and reigning, but... Mary sees him and she goes to him and he says, don't touch me. I've not yet ascended to the Father. That's exactly what he says to Mary. Two chapters later, he says, Thomas, thrust your hands into my hands and into my side. What happened from the time that he tells Mary, don't touch me, till he tells Thomas, touch me? Well, he tells Mary, I've not yet ascended to my Father. Why would he need to ascend to his Father? Because he took his blood and he put it on the real tabernacle and he purified all the articles of the temple in heaven. Um, where was I going, Holy Ghost? That's some incredibly good news. Um, then he applied the blood to your heart and my heart and purified us. And Hebrews 10 says that we have been perfected and sanctified. You don't have to become sanctified. He's made you sanctified by his blood. Look, if you can work to earn holiness then you don't need the Holy Spirit. I used to hear all my life, empty yourself. Just get empty. Get before the Lord. Just empty yourself so He can fill you with the Holy Spirit. Well, if I, if I can empty myself, I don't need Him. I've emptied myself and I've made myself holy. I believe that the Holy Spirit comes right into all your mess and all your sin and all your problems and all your battles and He begins to clean you up and He begins to tell you how to walk and to act and He makes you holy. Mm, that's good. As long as there was a shadow, there was going to be a need for sacrifices. The new temple, raise your hand temples, has been sprinkled with a better blood. Hmm. Now chapter 10 verse 1, still in Hebrews. For since the law has only a shadow, tell your neighbor the law was just a shadow. That means it was a pale representation of the good things to come. See, because if the law was going to bring good things, we would still be under the law. But the law was just a shadow, a pale representation of the good things to come, not the very image of those things. It can never be by the offering the same sacrifices continually, year in, year out, day in, day out, that make us perfect who would approach the altar. Because if the blood of goats and bulls made us perfect as we approach the altar, guess what we would still be doing? Despite PETA out there 
trying to uh, protest us killing animals, we would still be offering animals. Thank God that the blood of Jesus shed once and for all did the job. It was a better blood with better promises of the good things to come. Amen. Shadows will never produce and cannot reproduce life. It's substance that brings forth substance. Look at the screen. You will always be sin conscious if you live in the shadow. What makes people sin conscious is an old covenant mentality that says you must do these things in order to be holy and righteous, to have his love spread abroad in your heart and to receive his forgiveness and his acceptance. And so what we have now mostly is mixture. God doesn't like mixed drinks. You and I might like mixed drinks, but God doesn't like mixed drinks. That was supposed to be funny. Boo. Thank you. What makes him sick? Mixed drinks, hot and cold. What causes him to spew people out of their mouth? A mixture. He would rather you say like Paul said, well, if you're going to follow the law, you just got to follow it all. But we're not under law, we're under grace. But what makes God sick and causes you to be spewed out of your mouth is when you say, here's God's free gift of salvation. Come and receive it today. Walk down the to the altar, confess your sins, accept Jesus into your heart and receive eternal life. As soon as you do that, we've got a class tomorrow night that tells you all the rules and the regulations that you must follow to retain your salvation based upon our doctrine. That's a mixture. Because if it wasn't by works that I am saved, but by grace through faith, then how am I going to maintain my salvation? It's going to be grace through faith, not works. But don't forget verse 10 of Ephesians 2. But you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Why? Because as James said, your good works prove before men that you are righteous. It doesn't make you righteous. It just shows everyone around you whose you are. But you will remain sin conscious and you will try to perform based upon an old covenant mindset because in that old covenant mindset with that sin consciousness there are rankings of sin so we get to the point that we call certain things that are really bad abominations. I would challenge you to do a study on the word abomination and its originality and its etymology and it will lead you to show you that most of what abomination was dealt with animals. Just study it out for yourself one time. In this verse, chapter 10, verse 1, it says the law was only a shadow. That word shadow is skia in the Greek. S-K-I-A, skia. It means an outline, a sketch, a representation. How many of you have watched AGT? America's Got Talent. I love Terry. And there they've got these things now with these electronics and they put screens up and it's like black light and people will be acting out something behind it and they've got costumes on but you can just see their it just makes all types of beautiful designs and everything. So if I was to drop a sheet and let's just call it a veil in front of this area, I've got to chase a rabbit. When I was growing up, this was the holy of holies. Did y'all ever grow up in a place like that where the platform was the Holy of Holies? 
and we call we we weren't even allowed to call it a stage because a stage is where people perform. It's called a platform. Uh, I'm sorry, but you weren't allowed up there because those drums were holy and those guitars were holy. And no, they just cost a lot of money, and we don't want kids tearing them up. Let's just tell it like it is instead of making this a realm of untouchables and the holy of holies. But there was a, if there was a veil here, a screen, and you could see through it, then there was light shining. You could see shadows being cast because of the images that were behind that, but we may not be able to actually tell really what they were. So it's an image, it's a sketch, it's an outline. I mean, Paul tells them the church at Corinth, we see through a veil dimly. In other words, we don't really see the real thing. Because it's just a sketch and an, an image. And what Paul tells the Galatians in chapter 3, he asked them, and I'll ask you the same thing today, who's bewitched you? Who's hexed you? You came to God through grace by faith, but now you're back into works, and now you're looking at shadows, and you're chasing shadows. You came to God by faith. It was a work of the Spirit in your life. Why are you trying to follow rules now and chasing shadows? The Old Testament, we cannot see God very clearly. And so because of that, it's Christ concealed. We've got to understand the New Testament where Christ is revealed to understand who the Father is even in the Old Testament. He's still full of grace and mercy, even in the Old Testament. But because of the way we've been taught or because of the veil that stands between us and God, and we see him dimly, we see a vengeful God, we see an angry God, we see a God that wants to smack you upside of the head and make you a grease spot around, along life's highway. I mean, that's the language that I heard growing up from the pulpit. <laughs> Jokingly, of course, with love, but all, in all sincerity, really, that's kind of what we thought, and we believe that if we messed up, that's who God was. But 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, Frank, if you guys would come. Verse 14, it says, But their minds were blinded. Watch it. For until this day, somebody say today. The same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away when Christ is presented. So I will keep you in shadow living. I will keep a veil over your hearts and your minds. It says they were blinded in their minds. If in preaching the Old Testament I don't present Christ. We call it a big theological word, the Christology. The study of Christ in the Old Testament. So many stay confused. Many stay in bondage. Many stay trying to revive those rituals and those rules. Uh, that then hinders and restricts their freedom. Uh, Lisa has put on the screen in the back for us to continue to remind us through the whole month that those things were a prophetic shadow. Christ is the substance and the veil has been torn. With his arms stretched wide, suspended between heaven and earth on that great day when the earth turned black and the ground shook, the veil was torn from top to bottom. And the veil exposed what they were hiding 
Because since the time of Jeremiah, there was no Ark of the Covenant which was the symbol or the shadow of the presence of God. They had been dwelling as a land who God's hand was on, who many today would still tell you that they are the apple of God's eye. I don't disagree with that, but every blood-bought one is the apple of God's eye, not just one nation. Tiptoe through that one. But the veil's been torn and exposed that the presence of the Lord had not been with them since the time of Jeremiah. You can go back and study it. Ichabod was written over the door. The glory had departed. Why? Because that which represented the shadow that was beyond the veil wasn't really there. That was all exposed so that Christ could be seen as the substance. And Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us that now faith is the substance. i got to chase this one over in Colossians. I believe it's the first chapter. Verses 13 through 17. If you'll read that, I think it's verse 15. That Jesus is seen as the exact living image of the invisible Father, the unseen God. Pledge allegiance to the flag, Ninth States of America. Talks about that invisible. That's God. But Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if it doesn't look like, smell like, or taste, pass the taste test of Jesus, then it's not the Father. Anything that you would read in the Old Covenant that doesn't look like Jesus is not God acting under another terms and conditions as much as it is man's view of how God was treating them under a certain covenant. I'm not trying to detract from the Word of God or the Scriptures at all. It's there. It's a historical book about how God did work with the children of Israel, but it was all just a prophetic representation of what was really going to take place when the substance Christ showed up. I don't know about you, but I could not imagine spending my life trying to earn enough money to buy a sacrifice so that when the Day of Atonement come, came that I could offer a sacrifice, go to the temple where the tax collectors were going to cheat me out of my money and charge me more than my money was worth to buy their money so I could buy a sacrifice. That constantly. Because if I didn't have a sacrifice, then my sins weren't forgiven. As you stand to your feet with joy in your heart and a smile on your face, we ought to be giving God praise that Christ was that sacrifice once and for all. His blood was shed and it has been applied to the mercy seat. He is our propitiation, that mercy seat. He came. He removed the veil. And we see the Father for who He really is today. No more shadows. No more shadow living. No more chasing those shadows. <laughs> I'm thankful for all of you ladies that came this morning from Union Mission. We appreciate you being here. You've blessed us today. We pray for you on your journey of recovery. But would you pray for us that are also on our journey of recovering from religion? A lot of us are still in the detox stage. And there's withdrawals a lot of times when you take certain things away from people. I found out, man, if you take the, this, um, you know, a hot hell and a vengeful God away from them, that, man, 
to, especially if you start saying, well, I believe he's coming back, but I don't believe in a rapture. And then, you know, then you're really a heretic because people really want it to get bad so that God has to come back. But I see that the world is getting better. It's just all about your perspective on things. Would you bow your heads with me, please? I'm going to have Frank sing, and as Frank sings, and he's going to lead you in a prayer. Respond to this altar if the Holy Spirit is tugging on you and you need just a little boost this morning in your recovery of detoxing from religion and you need to break that mindset of shadow living over your life and just begin to literally have all of the restrictions and the chains taken off of your freedom. When you've come, he'll pray with you. He'll lead us in a dismissal prayer. God bless you all. We love you. We're headed out this morning. Pray for us as we travel. Lisa has something to say. You know, I just, whenever, I want to give another little, something to think about, another little nugget. When you were saying that um, when he came out of the tomb, how many of you heard that Mary couldn't touch him because he would, she would contaminate him? Oh, you can't, you know what I mean? Because she wasn't clean and she was sinful. You know, oh, don't touch me. I haven't ascended yet. Well, I believe, and when you read it in context as Holy Spirit, I mean, you can believe what you want. I'm not telling you. But what I'm wanting you to think about is in the same chapter, he told Thomas to touch him. Well, why is that? Because he didn't want Mary to cling to an old, because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are in the New Testament, but it's still Old Covenant. And so he didn't want her to cling to the old, to those things, to him, like in that form. He's, he's spirit. He's a spirit. He's a spiritual body. So in, in the same chapter as you read down, he walked through a closed door. And he'll come through your closed mind and your closed door and appear to you if you just believe it. And that's what he told Thomas. Don't be, don't be unbelieving, but believe. And so he was like, go ahead, touch me in his spiritual form so he can appear to you. And now that's what we cling to is that. So I hope that maybe did an aha moment. You can walk right through your closed mind. Right. Amen. That's right. It just shows up. It's called suddenly. He'll show up. All right, let's uh, just worship here for a minute. And if you feel led to come to the altar for prayer, we'd love to pray for you and with you. God bless.